You know, at Northridge, a big part of what we're trying to accomplish is to just show the compassion that Jesus showed only in our world. You know, the church in general is kind of known as a place that wants to gather people in and take and build its own stuff, but it's not at all what Jesus is about, and it's certainly not at all what we want to be about. You can't deny we're a very big church, but that's it's really not the point. I, I didn't go into ministry years and years ago so that we could have a big church, but many people miss it. They see the size of our church, and they don't know that the size of our heart is even bigger. When we see a, a need, a burden, we just want to invest Jesus' compassion against it. And we don't want to show his compassion just in like churchy ways. We don't just want to go over and talk about the love of Jesus. We, we want to show it in real ways. You know, what so many people don't know about Northridge is that we're making an investment in the lives and the education and the health of people and children in particular all around the world. Haiti, Nicaragua, India, We've built a couple of hospitals in Africa, all these different things, but we don't want to be known locally as the church that invests around the world but forgets its hometown. And so as we started talking about Easter and what we could do different this year, our minds immediately went to the children of Flint. It's one thing to care about an issue like Flint when it's trending. But you know, Flint's still reeling right now, and I can't even imagine what it would do to me to know that I had been giving my kids water and bathing my kids in water that was ultimately making them sick and hurting them. And we have to do something about it. Last year, you know, we had over 30,000 people come to Easter, and we thought, hey, let's use the the amazing impact of Easter at Northridge to make a difference there. So this year, on top of all the other things we do, we've decided to use our numbers to change lives. Here's what we came up with. For every person that walks through the door of Northridge this Easter, we're going to give another dollar of compassion to help the children of Flint in dealing with and overcoming this, this water issue, not halfway around the world, but right here. The truth is, every kid counts and every dollar counts. And so I hope that, I hope this year, we just can't fit people at Northridge because I want us to have to give a ton. So invite everyone you know in every sphere, it doesn't matter who they are because not only will they experience a very relevant and impacting Easter service, but more than that, even if they hate that, they will be making a difference in the lives of children in Flint. And we won't just be a huge crowd of people gathering at Northridge, but every single person will represent another dollar and another investment in a child that matters. And that, in the end, will I think be the legacy of this year's Easter at Northridge. You come and we'll give.
One of the things I absolutely love about Northridge, this church family, is that we are doing so much around the world to show Jesus love, to really, really help people change their lives and their story. But you need to know that, that we never feel like we're doing enough. We're always looking for something more that we could do and can do. And this year, this is our something more. And I am so excited because it turns Easter into exactly what Easter's supposed to be, right? This life-changing moment of hope. And it gives me, it gives us uh, uh, even a greater reason to invite people to Easter. Right? They need to hear the story of Jesus' love. They need to hear about hope. But everyone who comes will also make a difference in the life of a child at Flint. And so why wouldn't we want to invite as many as possible, right? And it gives them a reason to say yes no matter what they think of the whole church thing. In fact, we've already been at this inviting thing and getting people there. And uh, just one story, my son invited a gal in her young 20s, not a part of Northridge or anything, don't think part of any church really, and, and uh, said, we're going to be doing this and giving to Flint. You come, we give. And she goes, oh my gosh, I'm going to get 100 of my friends to come. I mean, we might need 25 services, right? That'll be okay. And so I just really want to encourage you to be inviting people in, not only to share the hope of Jesus, but to share Jesus' love with the children of Flint. It's going to be a great deal. And I believe the legacy of this Easter will be amazing, but we can be a part of the legacy if we'll be inviting. And that, that's just an awesome deal. I, I also want to encourage you, one of the things you can do to invite people to Easter, share that video that you just saw. We've already made it available on our Northridge Facebook page to share. I've actually shared it on my Brad Powell page. And, and all you have to do is go to your Facebook page and find us and then share it. You can share it with all your friends. And we're asking you to share it in every sphere of influence you have as many times as you can because the more people that see that, the more people that can be motivated come in. And we're already hearing about it around the community. So would you do that? In fact, here's what I've, I've done. I'm very strategic in what I do. And so I have planned for a couple of extremely boring portions in my talk that's about ready to come. And during those boring portions, you just pull out your phone, go to Facebook, <laughs> share this thing, and then come back when I get interesting, okay? That'll be uh, the way to do this. And if you're not on Facebook, we've also had it on a YouTube. You can do Northridge uh, Church Easter 2017, and then you can share it on Twitter, however you want to do it. But would you share that? Okay. And we, we are always, as Northridge, we're always trying to surprise the community. We're always trying to make the community think um, in different ways about Jesus and church and those kind of things. And this Easter is no different, along with that compassion component. We're, we're going to, starting tomorrow, begin flooding the region with billboards and buses and, and community mailers that are saying, uh, highlighting a common contemporary thing today, fake news. You've heard all about the fake news stuff, right? And so we're, we're fake news, Jesus is dead. That's fake news. That's not real news, right? Fake news. And we're going to direct them to northridgechurch.com slash Easter. And when they get there, they're going to find it's true he died, but like for only three days, right? And then in a world of fake, the hope of Jesus is for real. Easter changes everything. We're trying to wake this world up. I promise people drive by those billboards, fake news, Jesus dead. They're going to think about that for a while, and we can step in and invite people. Let's stir up the world for the hope of Jesus this Easter. It's going to be great.
I also want you to know that uh, when you're leaving, you're going to see a bunch of people in red shirts, and you can um, get from them invitation cards. Uh, here in Plymouth, they've got our 11 services and the times, and when you invite people and they say, no, I'm busy on Sunday, you can say, that's okay, we have it Saturday. When they say, we're busy on Saturday, you can say, that's okay, we have services on Friday. And they say, I'm busy on Friday, then say, okay, who, who cares about you knowing hope then? No, no I'm just kidding, don't say that. <laughs> But would you get these invitation cards? And I ran out yesterday, and I was passing out and, and inviting, and it was so frustrating, so make sure you get enough, and let's invite, let's just change this community uh, this Easter, okay? It's gonna be a lot of fun. And then I also want you to be aware that in order to have 11 services in Plymouth, it takes a ton of volunteers, and our volunteers at Northridge are awesome, and the kids' ministry and guest services are great, but, but know this, they can't do it all when we increase to 11 services, and we could really use many of you just as a one-time thing, stepping into Easter and volunteering and making a difference because you can then be a part of us waking the world up to Jesus and showing love in this. So we made it really easy. In the, in the pamphlet that's in your program, you just open it up and it says serve. On that card, you can choose where you want to serve or say, I don't care, just put me somewhere and rip this off. And we've made it real easy so you don't have to wait for a phone call or an email. Uh, our whole team is gathered in room 1201. It's right off the lobby, but you can go into the activity center, whatever's behind where you go out, and then if you're in the balcony, you have to come down, go there, they'll direct you to it, and you can be a part of that. And let me, I'm going to be really honest, we do need a ton of you to step up and volunteer, but we don't want one of you to serve because we have that need. We want you to serve because you want to show the love of Jesus this Easter. You want to be a part of changing lives this Easter because you want to be a part of all that's going on. If that's you, would you be a part of that and sign up and go back here? And that would be the way to go about that, all right? So now what we're going to do is we're going to receive the offering. And uh, I'm going to ask you to stand with me, if you would, please, in order for us to receive the offering. And if you're a guest... Let the basket pass you by. We don't want anything for you. If you're a part of Northridge, we give to be a part of changing lives here and around the world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much that we get to be a part of what you're doing in the world. We do pray for Easter. We do pray for Flint and the children there. We pray that you would help us to show your love and make an impact. Be with this offering now and let it truly go to helping the world know you and your hope. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. After the basket passes, you can be seated.
In environments with lots of people like we're experiencing right now, when you look around, it's, it's not hard to tell that we are all very different people, right? I mean, you just look around. It's like we, we're such different people. I mean, different appearances, different backgrounds, different ethnicities. I mean, we're very different. And I have to tell you, our diversity is a beautiful, beautiful thing. It, it makes us so much better. But, but as different as we all are, in some ways, we are exactly the same. I, I, in the end, we're... We're all just people, right? And as people, every single one of us, regardless of how we look to one another, every single one of us has needs that are way beyond our own capacity to meet. Every single one of us here, with all of our differences, all has a need that, that's beyond our control, our ability to, to solve. We need ultimately someone bigger than us. We need someone more connected than us. We need someone with greater capacity than us. And, and this is why we look to each other, right? We, we kind of look outside ourselves and we go, okay, maybe they can help meet this need and maybe they're more connected. And maybe they can help me to secure this thing and maybe they can help me to resolve this thing. And, and that's okay on a small level, but in the end, we discover that, that other people ultimately don't meet the needs we have for something bigger because as it turns out, they're just like we are. They too have need for someone bigger, someone more connected. And so here we are looking to them to meet our need and to be a strength that we don't have. And they're looking at us to be a strength that they don't have. And, and ultimately we end up in the same place we were, still filled with need. So if we're ever going to genuinely have all of our needs met, we have, to, we have to come to grips with the fact that, that for our needs to be met, they have to ultimately be met by God. He's ultimately the only one big enough and connected enough and with great enough capacity to meet our needs, and, and he's the only one that doesn't need something himself. And here's the good news. He is able to meet our needs and willing. And so here's the truth that I want you to see this weekend, and I'm gonna start with the very general truth that can be life-changing, and then later I'll take it in a specific direction and get more specific, but, but I just think this can change our life if we'll let it. The truth is that, that God has promised to meet all of our needs, all of them. God has promised to meet all of our needs. Good thing, because we all have them. Look at how he says it, and it's all through the Bible, but this one verse is crazy good. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able, he's got the ability, to bless you abundantly. That sounds like kind of spiritual religious words. It simply means God is able to complete you. God is able to fully satisfy you, to bring you to the place where you are absolutely filled and overflowing, to bring you to the place where you are so abundantly uh, encouraged and lifted up that you're blessed, you need nothing. And he's able to do it this way. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every or all good work. Whoa. God has promised to meet all of our needs. And by the way, just so you know, this makes sense because 
when we were talking about all of our needs as human beings throughout the course of history, do, do you know what God revealed? God revealed that it's his name to provide for our needs. His name is provider. In fact, his name is Yahweh Jireh, and that simply means I am the God who provides for you. It's his name. <laughs> I'm the God who provides for you. And I think there are some things that we need to know about this so that we can understand, because I, I don't think all of us have really resolved this idea. I, I don't think all of us, in fact, I know I don't at times, uh, live as if this is really God's name. So you need to know, first of all, I think, that, that this idea that being a provider is God's name, that this is something he does, you, you just need to know that, that it actually comes with a guarantee. And, and here's God's guarantee. He will deliver on his promise. It's a guarantee. He'll deliver on his promise. You can count on this. Write it down, add it up, because it's a done deal. If he promises it, it's going to happen, because he's not like human beings who don't deliver. Look at how the Bible says it in one portion, Numbers 23, verse 19. God is not human. I know we can't depend on each other. We can't be the something bigger in each other's lives, but, but God's not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. He doesn't break his promises. Does he speak and then not act? No, human beings do that. God doesn't. Does he promise and not fulfill? No, human beings do that, but God doesn't. You need to know God's name is provider. He's promised to meet all your needs and God will deliver on his promise. You can absolutely count on it. To which a lot of people, and I, I'm one of these people, I start asking questions and I start going, then how come I still have so many needs? You ever feel that way? Okay, if God's gonna meet all my needs, then how come, I'm, how, many, how come I still have so many? And I know one of the answers we give each other and ourselves at times is, well, it's because he, he's promised to meet our needs, not our wants, right? And so, and, and all of us have kind of mixed up our wants with our needs, kind of like first world problems, right? It's like, you know, I, I have an iPhone, but I need a new one, you know, that kind of thing. It's, we, we, so we mix up our wants and our needs, and we feel like he's not meeting all of our needs because he's not meeting all of our wants. But let's... Let's, let's get away from that just for a minute. Let's, let's pretend that we can all be so objective that we can separate out our wants and not expect God to deliver all of our wishes. And we're really only focusing on true needs that we have. We still have a bunch of them, right? And so God's promised to meet all of our needs and yet here we are still suffering under the weight of our needs and we go, well, maybe he doesn't deliver on his promise. And this is where many of us are. Many of us are keeping God at arm's length. Many of us are mad at God. Many of us have rejected God. Many of us are still trying to follow him but we're kind of upset about it because he doesn't seem to be the provider he claims to be. But this is where you need to know that, that there's a condition to his promise. And the condition is that in order to experience God as provider in our life, we have to trust him. I mean, this is the condition. I mean, Jesus said this right out loud and straight up. Matthew 9, 29. According to your faith, will it be done to you? It's according to your willingness to trust him that you'll experience the fulfillment of his promise in your life. We have to trust him. And you might go, I, what is he, an ogre up there? He's trying to make us jump through hoops. No, no, no. You, 
There's no such thing as experiencing someone as providing for you and loving you if you're not willing to trust them. No, no. I'll give you an example. I've been married for 37 years to Roxanne, and I imagine she could want to love me for 37 years. We could live in the same home. We could be, you know, husband and wife, and we could do all that. And yet, I could never experience true intimacy with her and the true expression of her love. I could never experience the fullness of what she wants to give to me if I'm not willing to trust her, right? Because what I'll do is I'll keep her at arm's length. I'll keep pushing her out here because I'm afraid of the hurt that could come or the pain would come or I don't know what I'm doing. So I don't trust her, so I'm not going to let her in. And as much as she wants to, I don't experience it because I'm not trusting her. That's exactly like it is with God. His name is Provider. He wants to provide all your needs, but how in the world can you experience him providing the needs you have, the emptiness within? How can you experience it if you're not willing to trust him? You can't. According to your faith, it'll be done to you. And so this changes the whole thing for me, and maybe it does for you. It turns for me my idea of what my real needs are upside down. Because if you look at my, my prayer journal, if you listen to my prayer life or listen to me as I wind through life, you'd realize that I, I see myself as having a bunch of needs and I can, I can name them one by one, right? It's like, are you like that? Do you have needs that you can name one? I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. And boy, if God would come through with these, oh my gosh, then he's the provider. And, we, we've got, and I keep, I ask God for these things. This, 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 this. But you know, what I've learned, what I'm learning those aren't my needs at all. I already have the one who's promised to meet those needs. I already have the someone bigger, the someone more connected, the someone with greater capacity right there wanting to meet my needs, but I'm shutting them out because I'm not trusting him. My great need is not the stuff I think I need. My great need, and this is a big part of this, my great need is to have a faith that keeps growing. According to your faith, it'll be done to you. According to your faith, you'll experience him as provider. Now think about this, it's important. That means if I have a faith that keeps growing, I'm going to experience more and more of God's provision in my life, which means what? I'm going to experience fullness. We keep asking God for the stuff that he already wants to provide, but we don't experience it because we're not growing in our ability to trust him. So I, I don't really know all the deep experiences of your life right now, what you feel like is a need that's not being met in your life, but I do know this. God is, by name, the provider, and God will deliver on his promise. What's standing between you and the true needs in your life being met is a growing faith and a growing capacity to trust him. That's a big deal. The, the apostles learned this early. The apostles were the first followers of Jesus, you know, picked out 12 and then, and, uh, and they kind of made a big commitment. They said, we're going to follow you. We're going to give up our job. We're going to do this thing. We th we're all in. I, you look like the Messiah. We think you're the real deal. And so we're going to follow you. We're going to do all this different stuff. And boy, they made that decision. But you know what they learned? They learned it was easier to say they were going to follow than actually follow. And along the way, he started teaching them what it meant to be a follower and and they realized they didn't have the capacity. Talk about needs. They didn't have the capacity. One example is in Luke 17, right? They, Jesus was teaching about forgiveness and I'll oh, forgive this, forgive this. And he was forgiving. He was like, oh my gosh. And fi finally, Peter, you know, we humans don't have a great capacity to forgive, right? 
And so Peter was listening and goes, okay, so if I'm gonna follow Jesus, I have to be in the forgiveness thing. So he asked Jesus, he goes, hey, um, so how many times like, am I supposed to forgive? And you know, really, one or two is a lot, right? It's more than I carry in my billfold, right? And, uh, and he says, so he really went out on the limb. He says, seven times? Do I have to forgive seven times? And he was thinking, this is like, I'm liberal here, you know? And it's like, that's really aggressive. And, but he was also saying, I think I can stock up seven forgive, me, forgive yous, you know? And then I'll give it to him after that, right? And Jesus says, no, it's not seven, no. It's really seven times 70. You might as well stop counting because see, life hinges on ongoing forgiveness. And I'm gonna tell you, they're like, I, I can't do that. I can't do that. And in Luke 17, five, look at what happened when they realized they didn't have the capacity. It says, and the apostle said to the Lord, three words, increase our faith. Now this really plays in this talk. Now listen to me, this is really important. What was their problem? They couldn't forgive. Why didn't they say, hey God, you know, I got this need to forgive. You know, my wife, oh my gosh. You know, help me to forgive. You know, Judas, God, he keeps hogging all the money. You know, it's like, I need to forgive. They didn't ask for help in forgiving. They already knew that God was the provider. Forgiveness was going to come. He was the one that could do it. He had the capacity. He was the someone bigger. So what did they ask for? Increase our faith. They understood at this point that they needed a growing capacity to trust God in order to experience God providing their needs. Our great need is to keep growing in trust. Increase our faith, that's what we should be praying. But I need to tell you, it's not as easy as just saying increase our faith. They found it, everyone finds it. It's like, because when you really commit to God increasing your faith, you need to understand that the answer is not necessarily comfortable. And many of us don't have an increasing faith, not because we don't want it and don't want God to be our provider. Many of us are trying to find something else that can fill our needs and meet our needs because this idea of growing in faith doesn't come on the cheap. In fact, God's provision, he'll answer your prayer. He's your provider. He'll grow your faith. There's no doubt. He'll give it to you. He'll grow it. He'll reward it. He'll do all that stuff. But you need to know that, that he grows our faith through life's difficulties. Well, that's uncomfortable. You, this is so important. Your faith will not grow on a comfortable cloud of tranquility. Your faith will only grow when you are put through the rigorous and difficult demands of walking through real living, trusting God. That's when it grows. God grows our faith, all right, through life's difficulties. This is why James says what he does in chapter one, verses two through four. Look at this, this is, suck this one in. It says, consider it pure joy. Consider it the highest form of joy, my brothers and sisters, 
whenever you face life's difficulties, trials of many kinds, because, and this is why you should consider it joy, because you know that the testing of your faith, walking in faith through life's difficulties produces a stronger, more enduring faith, perseverance. And then let perseverance, a stronger faith, finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Think about this talk. We all need someone, something bigger than ourselves that fills our needs. This is saying you can get to the place where you're not lacking anything. Of course you can because God is the provider, but you need a strengthened faith to get there. And how does God strengthen your faith? By allowing you to walk through life's difficulties. Whoa. You know what some of us have decided? No, thank you very much. I'll try, you know, other stuff. But here's the bad news. You're going to go through life's difficulties whether you grow in faith or not. And many of us go through life's difficulties and we keep getting beat up and darker and darker and more angry and more bitter and we don't grow in faith at all because we're, we're just not looking to the only source who can fill our needs instead of trusting him and growing in faith. And so I, I don't know about you, but I, teaching's okay. It's like, and I'm talking about your role, you know, I, I enjoy what I do pretty much, but you're sitting there and you go, okay, I get it, it adds up. Two plus two equals four, I understand that, but you know, it's really, it's really hard to absorb just the facts of it. And that's why God gave us so much story in the Bible. And I thought maybe what we can do is benefit more from the story of someone who went through this than we can the facts of it. And so I wanna give you the example of Abraham. All right, because Abraham, just so you know, why did I choose Abraham? Because he's like the father of faith. He's known for being the dude when it comes to faith. And so why not look to his story? Was he like born a rock star of the faith? Was he born like coming out going, yeah, hang on to God, woo. No, he wasn't. You know what he was born like? Like you were born and like I was born. But he grew in faith, which changed his story and it can change ours. I, I just want us to learn from it. I'll just give you a picture and then you can take this, this biographical study as far as you want to. By faith, Abraham became the father of faith because he had to walk into the unknown by faith. And I won't go too deeply into this, but is there anything worse than walking into the unknown? And by the way, I know we delude ourselves and we fantasize that we know what's coming, but we don't. You know, you realize that every minute of every day we're walking into the unknown, right? But, but we try and control it and we try and do this and we try and structure our lives. But, the, but walking into the known is scary. Un unknown is scary. It's difficult to do. It's difficult. But this is exactly what Abraham was asked to do. He was asked to leave home and to leave everyone he knew to go to a place that God would tell him about sometime. <laughs> well, awesome right? And he did it. He walked into the unknown, trusting God, and as a result, his faith increased. Look at Hebrews 11:8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. How did Abraham grow in faith? Because he did what's difficult, and he kept trusting God. He walked into the unknown. That's how we grow in faith. And you have chances every single day of your life to do it. 
If we're going to grow in faith, we have to learn from Abraham that Abraham, by faith, had to deal with disappointment. A lot of people think, oh, these rock stars of faith, they've got it so good, life was really easy. No, no. They deal with life just like we do. And he had to, by faith, keep dealing with disappointment, and it was through that that ultimately his faith grew. Just one little area of disappointment in his life, he and Sarah, his wife, desperately wanted a child, and you know, many of us know what that's like. Some of you know what it's like to desperately want a child and not experience that, and that's where Abraham and Sarah were. It's difficult. And then God did something crazy. God promised them after they hadn't had a child for a long time. He goes, you know, I'm going to give you a kid. And, um, and you're going to become the father of many nations because the, your offspring, Abraham and Sarah, is going, to, is going to be a child of promise and it's going to change the world. Filled them with hope, right? And that's great. Short-term thing. They sang a little worship song. Woo-hoo! But then they had to keep dealing with disappointment after disappointment. Turned out, Abraham's 100 years old and Sarah's 90. No kid. How many of you are going, let's paint the nursery, baby. It's happening. <laughs> Look at how the Bible talks about this. Against all hope, Abraham and hope believed and so became the father of many nations. It ultimately, he still believed it was going to happen. Just as has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. And yet it didn't happen. Can you imagine thinking, God, I'm trying to live for you and trust you, and yet the one thing I want more than anything else in the world I can't have? Many of us give up on God when we're dealing with that kind of disappointment. He didn't. Look what it says as we continue on. It says, without weakening in his faith, he didn't let it ruin his faith. He faced the fact, and this is really kind of a funny part of the story, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. And then the Bible adds a little caveat, a little color, so you can know. What do you mean his body was dead? He was about 100 years old. Look it. I have nothing again. Look, I'm getting older all the time. I understand the things that happen. I, look it, I love my elders. But let me just tell you something. If you're 100 years old, serious business, you're like, whew, you're on the backside of the hill. <laughs> That's what the Bible's saying, right? I mean, the guy, uh... Now, we're not talking about does he have wisdom, does he have... He wanted a kid. And basically, you're 100 years old, dude. Now, maybe here in the 21st century, we do have blue pills. But, um, but that doesn't mean it's fruitful. And let's say you've got it on, right? You're going at it. But, but Sarah, Sarah was 90. And the Bible says Sarah's womb was dead. The, the, okay, the talk's over. Thanks for coming. Appreciate it. It's like, talk about dealing with disappointment. And you need to know, this is the thing they wanted most. This was what they lived their entire lives for. This is why they were hanging on to God. And it didn't happen. Why did he become the father of faith? Because you see, God gives a growing faith to those who keep trusting, even with disappointment. 
And that's why he had a faith that's growing, and that's what we need. I, I don't have it in your outline or anything, but in Isaiah 49, verse 23, listen to these words. Isaiah 49, 23. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. Uh, of course not. Because you see, he's Yahweh Jireh. He's the God who provides. It's his name. Do you know who's disappointed? The ones who don't trust the only one who can provide, even in the midst of disappointment. Is your faith growing? A Abraham, he, he became the father of faith because he had a growing faith and in order to experience growing faith, he had to keep going even after failure. He had to keep going, he had to keep going even after failure. And this is the part of the story that I relate to so much because sometimes it's so easy to start believing these people had a capacity to believe bigger than ours. Doesn't it feel like that to you when you're reading the Bible and you're going, they just had a capacity to believe beyond ours. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. He failed just like we failed. One example of it is crazy. I relate so much to it. Genesis 16, 1 and 2. Now Sarai, that was Sarah's original name, Abram's wife, that was Abraham's original name, had borne him no children. They, they had been barren. And then God had given him this promise, you know, you're going to have a kid and I'm going to build nations through it, life's going to be good, and it didn't happen, it didn't happen, it didn't happen. And you know, we human beings, we start thinking, you know, maybe God wants me to help him out. Right? No, I mean, I'm serious. It's like we try and start rationalizing, you know, I think God needs my help. And I, I can figure this out, I can get this thing done, and then I'll give God credit, Right? And so they had been barren, and, and here's what Sarah said. She had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. And so she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children, but hey, I got I to figure it out. Go sleep with my slave Hagar, and perhaps I can build a family through her. And she's going, I've got it. It doesn't have to be my kid, and your, it can be your kid, and then we can build a family, and then the child will probably, I've got it figured out. And I have to tell you, this part of the story blows my brain. I can't ever imagine my wife, Roxanne, saying, hey, dude, got a solution for you. <laughs> different culture, different time, but, but here's what's really weird about the story. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. And, and here, here's what he agreed to. You're right. God needs our help. We'll solve this need. The minute we start trying to solve the need, you know what we're doing. We're not trusting him to provide. And so we don't experience his provision. So the best we get is what we can manufacture. And may I just tell you something? The best you can manufacture will always just bring more disappointment and devastation into your life. And that's what happened here. By the way, Hagar gave birth to a son named Ishmael, a valuable, God-created young man. There's nothing about his value associated with this, but I'm going to tell you, Ishmael was not the son of promise. This is not God's solution for them. And as a result, it resulted in all kinds of hardship and hatred and heartbreak for 
Abraham and his family, for Ishmael and for Hagar, and, and quite frankly, for a multitude of people then and even today. This was a failure of high order, one we can relate to, because we try and help God out. We rationalize. But here's what Abraham didn't do that we often do. Abraham failed, but he didn't stop trusting. He got back up and he kept trusting through that failure. He learned and as a result, his failure grew. And this is where many of us get stagnant in our faith because we fail and it's like, why even try, right? Why even try? And then we just keep manufacturing our need like God doesn't care anymore and it's wrong. We have to, by faith, keep going after our failure and as a result, like Abraham's, our faith can keep growing. I don't know where your faith stopped growing, but I bet it was associated with one of your past failures. And here's what I know. If you'll get back up and start trusting God again, he'll keep increasing your faith. And he became the father of faith because by faith, he kept going even when God was asking him for things that didn't make sense. He, by faith, he had to obey God, trust God, obey God, even when it made no sense at all to him, to anyone else around him. Here's what happened. Finally, Abraham gets the son of promise. Kid's name was Isaac. A hundred-year-old Abraham, 90-year-old there. Boom, pop, goes Isaac. It's like crazy. He's there. He's really there. They've got the nursery thing going. It's like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. See, what happens is when God provides that deep-rooted need we've wanted, we finally had enough faith to get us to where God provided that need. Do you know what we tend to do? We tend to think problem solved, needs gone, and trust goes down, and we start living our own life. But you know, that's exactly when we start failing again. This has happened so many times in my life. And God didn't want this to happen in Abraham's life for Isaac to be the end of him trusting God. And so... God wanted to show Abraham how much his faith had grown. And so God issued a test to Abraham. And it wasn't so God could learn something about Abraham. It was so Abraham would know how far his faith had grown and, and how far he could go at trusting God. God said, I want you now to take Isaac, your son of promise, the one I'm going to build many nations out of, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. First of all, you need to know God had said all through his word, don't you ever offer a kid in sacrifice. We don't do that. That's just not our form of work. God had said that. And all of a sudden, God's telling him to do that. It, just, it didn't make sense. But Abraham's faith had grown to such a point that he knew that he could trust God even when it didn't make sense, that God was the provider, that God would provide a solution. Look at how the Bible says it. Hebrews eleven seventeen and 19, by faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He trusted God that much. He, he who had embraced the promises of, about having a son was about to sacrifice that one and only son, even though God had said, this is the one that I'm going to build the nations through. It's through Isaac that your offspring will come. But how did he do it? He had such a strong faith that it says, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. I know what God's gonna do. God's gonna raise he's going to come back to life. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. God wouldn't let him kill Isaac, didn't let him kill Isaac, but, but Abraham was willing. And you know what he learned? My faith has grown that much. And I'm going to tell you, anyone who walks by faith can relate to this story. 
My greatest moments in life have come when I've decided I'm going to trust God more than my senses. I'm going to obey God even though it doesn't make sense. And you walk through that moment, you go, oh my gosh, his name is provider. But it takes a growing faith. The result of of Abraham walking by faith through all these things was that Abraham's faith grew. He became the father of faith. He's influenced generations of people to trust God. He's He's influenced us. I'm giving a talk on Abraham right now. Not because he's a greater human being than us, but because he had a faith that was stronger than ours is right now, which allowed him to experience God's provision in greater ways. Look at Romans 4, verses 20 and 21. He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith. His faith grew, and as a result, he gave glory to God. He lived a very different story, and I love this sentence. He was fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. What did God promise? That where he guides, he provides. That he's the provider. That he's the one you need, not the stuff that you want. Well, I don't know about you, but I want, I want my faith to grow. My faith may never be as strong as Abraham's. My story will never be as powerful as Abraham's, but you know what? My faith can grow like Abraham's. And if we want our faith to grow like that, you know what we have to do? We have to, we have to keep taking steps of faith even through life's difficulties because that's how it grows. I mean, like Abraham, no matter what we experience, you know, the, the doubts and the difficulties and the crazy, the failures, things not making sense, we just need to take steps of faith through life's difficulties, and our faith will grow. But I think to get this really down, I, I kind of want to show you the process in Abraham's life and give you a chance to step into it. If you want your faith to be growing, then you need to know there's nothing you can do to grow it. There's nothing you can do to get it. Some of people who come in order go, I'm going to do everything I can to get faith and grow in faith. I'm going to, I promise you, you'll quit because you don't have the capacity. We need something bigger outside of ourselves. Here, here's what you need to know from Abraham, from truth, from every life story that's ever, ever experienced God's name. The only way you get faith is by receiving it. Here's what you need to know. God gives faith. You can't, you can't get it. You can't find it. You can't work up to the point of it. God gives faith. It's his gift. He, he's the provider. He puts it in you. Well, I think I can figure it out philosophically. What are you, Socrates? And by the way, Socrates couldn't figure it out. God has to give it. Look at Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It says it. For by grace have you been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not by works. You can't make it happen so that no one can boast. What's the gift of God? Faith. And everything it produces. Forgiveness, salvation, redemption, life. Faith is a gift. Have you received it? There's a lot more to this thing that I want to share in the next couple of minutes, but 
But before I do, I, I just believe, I really believe this. Some of you are here right now and you need this gift. You need faith. And so I'm gonna ask you if you would, just before I finish the talk, if you'd all bow with me in a word of prayer and our regionals here at Plymouth, wherever you're watching around the world, if you just bow in prayer just for a moment. And if you're ready, you say, I can't, I don't have the capacity to believe. No, but God does. Take my words in this prayer and, and make them yours. Just take this step. Just say, God, I, I don't have the capacity to believe in everything I need to believe in. But I'm opening myself up for you to give me that capacity. And so I'm, by the faith you're giving me, accepting that Jesus died on that cross for me, for my sin, that he rose again to give me new life. I don't understand, but I'm accepting the faith you're giving me. Take my sin, make me new. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, just before I move forward, if you prayed with me, would you let me know? Seriously, I, it's easy if you're in one of our services, just take the connection card out of the program we gave you. It tells you what to do. And then there are boxes at every exit. Throw it in there. And what we're gonna do is send you information about next steps that you can take in growing your relationship with God. And if you're watching online, hit the what next button and we'll do the same thing for you. But here's, here's where many of us get frozen. We get the gift of faith and we believe in Jesus and get forgiveness, but then we stay there. And then we're trying to work it out. Okay, now that I've got Jesus, I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna pray hard, I'm gonna work this and I'm gonna grow in my faith. That's not how faith grows. Do you know how faith grows? This is really, this is just so important. God gives faith and God grows faith. Abraham didn't work out a strong faith. Abraham allowed God the provider, to keep growing his faith. And that's what we have to do. In fact, look at Colossians 2, 6 and 7. It's, it says it. So then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, you know, by the gift of faith, so continue to live your lives in him. Continue to live by faith. And how, how, what's faith supposed to look like? Look, look what it says in verse 7. Faith is supposed to grow deeper and deeper roots. It's supposed to be built up more and more and more. And then here are words that remind me of Abraham. It's supposed to be strengthened. It's supposed to increase. It's supposed to grow. That's what we've been taught. And then it overflows with thankfulness. Why does it overflow with thankfulness? Because we know that a growing faith is not something we've accomplished. It's something God's done in us. Do you see it? Oh my gosh, I'm... I only have this capacity to trust because God gave me faith and God's growing my faith. He's the provider. We start thinking we've earned something. God, you owe me because look at all I've done and look at how I'm trusting you. And he's going, I owe you. God gives faith, God grows faith. And then this blows me away. It really, really does blow me away. Then God rewards faith. Whoa, what? God gives me the faith, the capacity to believe. God grows my faith, the capacity to trust him to do more and more and more. And then God rewards me for what he gave me. That's like me cleaning the garage for my kids and then thanking them for cleaning the garage and paying them. <laughs> Screw that, right? 
But that's what God does. He goes, I've given you the faith. I'm growing the faith. And hey, why don't I reward your faith? And that's exactly what he does. Look at Romans 4.3. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. God rewarded his faith with him being right with God, with him having a story to change generations. Here's the conclusion I want you to get. Like Abraham, like it or not, we're going to face life's difficulties. We're going, to, we're going to be forced to walk into the unknown and deal with disappointment, and we're going to have to face the ramifications of our failures, and often they last a lifetime. We're going to have to decide to obey when everything in us screams that it doesn't make sense. But if we, like Abraham, remember that God is provider, and we just keep trusting him, he will give us faith for each step of the way. He will grow our faith each step of the way, and then in the end, he'll reward our faith. He'll give us a story worth telling, which is why I've actually claimed 1 Corinthians 15, 58 as my life verse. Therefore, my beloved brethren, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. You know, in life's difficulty, stand firm. Don't Don't let anything cause you to waver in your faith. Remember Abraham, his faith didn't waver. He believed that God could fulfill your promise. Don't let anything to allow your faith to waver for as much as you know that your labor for God will never come up empty. It will never be in vain. It's true. We have a common need, you and I. Something that we can't accomplish on our own. We need something bigger, but... But God is that someone bigger and he is the provider and his promise is a done deal. It's guaranteed. The only question is, do we have the capacity of faith to trust him? And for us to have that, we have to receive it, let him grow it, and then we'll get rewarded for it. Your need is faith. Let's be growing together in it, okay? And let's do it by staying faithful together here. I hope that you please, please, be stepping into some volunteer ministries here. Don't forget to be a part of Easter and making that happen. I hope that you'll be inviting everyone you know, and I hope you'll be sharing the story about the Flint children and what we're going to do. I'm just glad you're here. Have a great, great week.